human beings of the world, it's time to enter the spoilerverse through our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with John and Kendrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. <laughs> and today Horsley. <laughs> on the show, well, we have a futurist, a we professor, do. a comic book writer, Mr. Mark Sable. I thought you were going to go on there. A futurist, a professor, a comic book writer. <laughs> I know, right? I was getting ready. <laughs> yeah, Mark was great. We had Mark on originally for our uh, Emerald City Comic Con thing we did this year for COVID. And yep. uh, I had such a good time talking with him. I was like, dude, you got to come back on and talk and do a full episode with us. And he did. And, and he it did. was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, I don't know how long it was, but. It's about an hour. It's about an hour. Yeah, it's about an hour. But it's it was a really good time. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. Uh, the 3D imaging that they did, the, the rendering, which I, I think is cool with him and his his artist. Oh, for the dark? Oh, it was, yeah. It's so, it, the, the outcome. Usually, I'm not a fan of 3D rendered comics, but the, the outcome on that one is just fantastic. It really is. It really is. Well, shit. This guy's done a lot, man. Grounded, fearless, all, both with uh, image. Yeah. He's got a lot to go over, so why don't we just jump in? You guys are going to have a lot of fun with this interview and listen to Mark in his own words. All right, guys, thanks for coming back. Uh, I'm super excited today because we have, well, we have a really great writer today to get us to talk to Blah. couldn't talk there to speak tied, tongue tied man and, yeah and he's worked for th- for people like boom studios and dc and you probably know him from some really good hits like the dark and graveyard of empires and then he also did cyborg rage against the machine back in 2010 mark sable thank you so much for joining us thank you guys so much for having me yeah it's uh it's this is exciting You've been uh, very active for quite a long time. I have been fortunate to that that people still employ me. So yes, <laughs> I, I, uh, no, yeah, I, it's been yeah. It's it's. I was just thinking it'll be it will be fifteen years this summer. Wow. that I had my first book uh, come out, which was grounded from Image Comics with Paul Azzetta. So it would be nice to I, I'm. You know, there's bigger problems in the world. It would be nice if Comic Con, uh, San Diego Comic Con, at this point happened. Could celebrate the anniversary in person, but I guess at this point, just being alive to celebrate is is uh, is good. Yeah, um, healthy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a weird time right now. It's what March 18th. We're in the middle of the self isolation, self quarantining of COVID 19. So it's it's a very crazy time. 
it, it indeed it is. So I have some questions because I had to go in when they said Mark Sable's coming on. And I'm like, oh, he, I, I know you from some of the DC stuff you did. And then when I went back, you've had a crazy career with the stuff that you've done. And I kind of want to get into some of the things that you did, like really around 2011 when you came up with Unthinkable and the terrorist prediction, people that came in place after 9-11, and you kind of took that and you – a whole other thing of creating how do we figure out the next terrorist attack. And you took it to a different level with your comic book, and you had a script. And I know you got pulled over, and I'm hoping that you could tell us that story of getting pulled over with your script and them freaking out because – you were researching jihadists and terrorism. So just to be clear, by pulled over, we're not talking about, you know, like I wasn't pulled over in a car. I wasn't writing my script and driving, writing. That'd be impressive though. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I would not be shocked if people were doing that in LA, like, you know, like we're writing and driving or like, and just cause the traffic is so bad here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, I wrote a book and I, it, so it was actually, I want to say it came out in 2009. Graveyard was, 2011, I have to think about this, but it was, yeah, unthinkable, which was based on a real thing, which was that the Department of Homeland Security, so after 9-11, people were saying things like, wow, this is something out of a Tom Clancy novel or a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. And the Department of Homeland Security took that seriously and started a think tank of writers, novelists, screenwriters to come up with the ideas to come up with worst case terrorist scenarios before the terrorists did in the hope that well, then we can think of ways to stop them, you know. And everybody said like nine eleven was a was a failure of imagination to prevent it. Right. So where I took that with the book was creating a fictional writer for this real life think tank, and he comes up with these terrorist ideas, but they start coming true. So uh, yeah, so that so so I want to say this is now back. This is how I remember it. Two thousand and nine. I was flying from uh, the first issue was not out, but I had a preview copy of it. So it was coming out like maybe in the next week. And then I had the script to issue two when I was flying from Burbank to New York on my way then to Amsterdam for a bachelor party, which makes my life sound a lot more interesting than it, than it is. It wasn't my bachelor party. So I was just very happy to be invited. But so it was like, I think an unusual kind of like, oh, and then like back to, you know, and then back to Vegas because there was another bachelor, like, so I had to think I had the kind of a strange itinerary, but so I got, you know, those four S's on my ticket. I don't know if I even did actually. So anyway, I'm going through security. They pull me out. They're like, yeah, we need to like test you for explosive residue or whatever. And, you know, thankfully nothing came up, but as they're going through my bag, they find the issue for unthinkable, which has, you know, a jihadist with an AK 47 on the cover. And then they had the script for issue two, which I had printed out to like, make corrections on that like it had a like you know previously and every other word in the previously was like 9-11 or terrorism so they they you know pulled me aside you know i guess detained but not in a room like for a while just being like and it was me having to explain to them like first okay comics can like like comics can be something other than you know superheroes or archie like right i think you know especially back then that was not something that you know this is pre walking dead, the television show. So like people weren't like really aware of that. And then also that, you know, okay, comics are something that people write a script for. And, and again, I don't blame them necessarily like TSA necessarily like, you know, I've had to explain, you know, I have to explain to people all the time that I do more than just write the word balloons, you know, and, 
it's just, it's not like they're ignorant. It's just like, yeah, it's not as, as much as comics have moved into the mainstream, like the act of creating comics that hasn't necessarily. So right. it was, it was kind of funny. I mean, it was like, at the time it was a little stressful. I didn't want to miss my flight. And, but it was like in the early days of Twitter. And so I remember tweeting about it after I got through security, like before the plane took off because and there was no Wi-Fi on that, on the flight at that point. And then when I landed in New York, like, I guess Publishers Weekly had picked up the story and <laughs> it just had gone, you know, had gone viral. It's um, a life and, of its own. <laughs> and I remember Chip Mosier, who's now works for Comixology Originals and is, but back then was the uh, marketing guy for, for Boom. I remember him calling up and we're good friends and he's just like, you can tell me, like, you made this up, right? Like, you know, you just were, this is really clever. my leg, like, come on. And I was like, no, I wish I was, I wish I was that smart and <laughs> devious, but no, just, uh, so, you know, for a while it was, I mean, it was for a while because, like, I remember, like, going to Comic-Con after that and people being like, oh, wait, yeah, you're the terrorist guy. And I was like, <laughs> I had to think for a second. And then I was like, oh, oh yes, I, I know what you mean. Yes, that is, that's me. Uh, what a, it's such a great story, though. I mean, that's something that you'll have forever to be able to say. Oh, yeah, insane. this happened once. <laughs> and it's it's, nuts. it actually, you know, the unthinkable itself and then the story you know it's it's been a great story i think both those things kind of has led me and something we can talk about yeah later if you want is i am now weirdly do it, sort of doing that kind of work well as a future for think tanks yeah well one, yeah that's really interesting how did who i mean can you even talk about who you work with yeah yeah that? yeah i mean if, if i couldn't i, I wouldn't so yeah. i mean and i i you know I'll, I'll i'll talk as much as i can but it's it's not like so I'm not sort of any, like, I don't want to make it that like, yeah, I'm in some like secret classified, like top secret program. I think right. this kind of stuff maybe the is more, more common, real. but I, I had a, primarily, I, I got, I got in touch with, or they got in touch with me. Uh, this, it's an organization called the Atlantic council, which is like oh, a cool. nonpartisan think tank about like national security think tank within them, they, they, within the Atlantic council, they have something smaller called the art of the future. Right. Um, which is the idea of bringing together people in the arts, so that can be writers, artists, filmmakers, video game designers, with people in the military, intelligence, science, scientific, and business communities. Uh, and, and the idea is to try to envision what conflict is going to be like in, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30 years from now. And it's really been extremely rewarding and inspiring thing. So. The people that I've worked for, like, so I've done some stuff directly for the Atlantic Council, which has included writing short stories and brainstorming kind of think tank stuff, but also teaching. Cause I, and I, I teach uh, a writing class for writing classes for the School of Visual Arts in New York online. So, but because I had that ability as well, I've gone and taught for the Air Force. Like, they have a program called Air University, it's kind of a graduate school. And so they're looking at like what the future of the Air Force is. And then I just got to do this fall. I just got to work, go, go to Quantico and work with the Marine Corps and teach them. But also they're working on a book called, they've actually had one so volume nuts. of it, but there's another one called Destination Unknown, which if you Google it, it should be able to be downloaded for free. Oh, cool. Um, and it's, that is what's cool about that project is, so it's a graphic novel that I was basically helped advise on and it's, but it's, like written and drawn all by Marines. Like it's amazing because it just like, you know, like I already had a ton of respect for the Marine Corps, but you know, like they're very, and and for the people in it, like just 
very appreciative of their service, but it's like they had like basically no, you know, very small budget, like yeah. compared to like what I get for like a single issue. And many of them had like no, you know, just really very little experience, but they just did really cool stuff. And it's the kind of thing where it sounds, you know, what I like about it is it's also the nonpartisan nature of it is nice. I mean, first of all, it's just like, it's as apolitical as I guess these things can get. So we're, you're just you know, ideas and they really do bring in with all these things. They try to really bring in a very diverse group of people. So diverse in beliefs, diverse in gender and race and things like that. So, you know, um, I know there's a, like, there's a science fiction. Like, so, I mean, one of the people that I've worked with, uh, is Max Brooks, who is, uh, who wrote, um, World War Z. And I mean, if there's somebody that he actually did a great video with, um, his father, Mel Brooks, um, yeah. like that if you can find out about like social distancing, but if there's anybody that knows about pandemics, it's him. And then like another science fiction writer, um, Madeline Ashby, who is, um, uh, like this, like feminist science fiction author who like comes in and talks to them about like thinking about the other and thinking about people like marginalized people and like how important that is. Because for example, like, um, you know, if you look at like one of the indicators of like whether a country is going to be stable or not, um, so much like it's whether women are part of the workforce. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, we look at Afghanistan, that's, you know, that's a, that's a perfect example of, of like, it's not the only reason that they've had instability. It's far more complicated than that, but it's part of it. And so, um, and, and it's just, it's been amazing to me how open these, I mean, it's always, there's this imposter syndrome when you're doing like, at least for me, like when you, you know, you do these think tanks and I meet like, Oh, this person's a Navy SEAL and right. this person commanded a submarine. And this person is like, you know, uh, you know, was an astronaut, like, but all these people have been, are just, have been incredibly gracious and very open to listening to new ideas. And I've come away just feeling really good. I think, you know, especially, I mean, I think just in the the past few years, but also just, I mean, especially now, I mean, I think, you know, like, I think the, a lot of institutions, like, you know, it it seemed like have failed us or, you know, you know, you have doubts about, and just to see that there really are people who are very patriotic and very smart um, and dedicated um, thinking about the future in, in different ways, like makes me sleep better at, at night. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, it's kind of weird because it's the whole scenario has become very meta when you compare it to, to your book, you know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, what is it? Life imitating art, imitating life. Yeah, it's again. like I, a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, I'm going to write this thing. And then, in some ways, it's become reality. It, it has. not I mean, thankfully, the, the reality part has not been the terrorist attack right. coming true. Like, <laughs> I mean, although I did, if you look at it unthinkable, there's like, there's an attack on an Iranian oil, or sorry, an Iranian attack on a Saudi oil facility, which did really happen. And then there is like a, like a, but in a few of my books, there have been yeah. like bioengineered, like, like plague kind of stuff. Um, but that's, that's, that's different. Like, yeah. I mean, so I won't, you know, I don't claim to, to, to be Nostradamus, although I should say, <laughs> um, my mom found, you know, going through all the stuff of mine that I had written when I was in like third grade or something. Yeah. No, no, no. I was, maybe I was in junior high school, but still, this is the You're a kid. late, late eighties, yeah. um, that I like wrote a short story about Trump becoming president, you know, so like, this is like, oh, before, that's hilarious. um, 
yeah, like, you know, way before he's even a reality star, it was just like Trump Tower, the art of the deal, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, and it was just this, and it, and it wrote about an insurgency. It was not a political thing. It was just, you know, it just is like, and I'm like, I should put that on the internet, but it's like, nobody will believe that I didn't, you know, <laughs> I think mean, you should put it on the internet anyway. But like, I was there. nobody will believe that I didn't just like write this now and, right. and try to fake it. Nah, but, I don't know. You're, you come across as a pretty honest guy, Mark. I think if you put it out there and say, I wrote this in 1988, people are like, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, I got it. So okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find that and try to, try to get it up. There you go. Send us a link. We'll put it out there. We have a great website. If you want it out on a website, you can put it on our website. We'll send it out. All right. I got to figure it out. Yeah, it's not. I mean, this was back. I wrote it on my, evidently, on a Commodore 64 computer um, nice. <laughs> to, to date and more. Yeah. Um, it's, I ha- only have a print copy because, you know, I I mean, the, the computer didn't have a hard drive. So, you know. Right. And I, I you know, I unfortunately got rid of the, the, the computer and the copies. I was... Uh, that was one of the greatest things I ever owned. Yeah, we'll um, send it over. We'll make Casey transcribe it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Give so him some you work. had a really cool series that you did called The Dark, where your main character, Carver, was a cyber soldier. And he had the cybernetic eyes. And then, of course, to get his cybernetic eyes, he makes a trade with the government. And they say, okay, we're going to give you these eyes, but you need to hunt down Camille. And I think, Camille, uh, you did this book in when? twenty. I want to say 2015. I don't have no. So then. the dark came out. Well, it came out in the fall of 2019. So 2019. Just, okay. I want to say October. Yeah. yeah. Um, started it before that, but yeah. Sorry, but go ahead. Yeah, but you have Camille, and she's a trans biopunk, and I'm wondering, and she's working for the NSA, and, and the whole thing is, did she steal some information? Carver's going to hunt her down. Let's figure this out. And you've worked with you work with Christian Donaldson, who did all this 3D rendering for your book, which is incredible. And I'm it really is, yeah, yeah. How was seeing that come before you in your eyes, going, "Oh my God, it's a whole new way of looking at it." Um, it's amazing. Um, yeah, Christian is like so. You know, Christian Donaldson. If, if people are not familiar with his name, like he did a lot of work for Vertigo. Um, and IDW, like, uh, with, with Brian Wood, a bunch and, and other people as well, but like yeah. he did some DMZ, he did this book supermarket. That was great. So he's this guy that he's this artist. He's a friend of mine as well. But I mean, like who had like, like this brilliant indie, just like pen and ink style. And then just decided to like, I'm going to come, he's going to completely reinvent themselves. And, you know, so when, with the dark, it's like literally every every character object background is created as a 3d model. So, um, and then he's able to, you know, then kind of shoot it from any angle. And then he does things on top of it that he could explain better to me to make it, you know, so it's, um, but it, you know, what's amazing to me is like, I mean, so the minute I had seen, I had the idea for the dark, which actually came out of, the, the idea came out of the think tank that I was working in of brainstorming and thinking about like, so it takes place in a world where um, there's been a cyber attack that shuts down the grid. Um, and then, you know, 10 years later, the world is re- rebuilding and using biotechnology instead of Silicon based technology. So the internet doesn't exist. Um, you know, that like a lot of things that use electricity are just have been fried. So, um, and it's, I had this idea and then I had seen Christian, he had like reinvented his style, but had not come back to comics yet. He was doing 
he was working for this like some like this architectural sort of think tank, weirdly enough, like yeah. and doing work. Uh, he did this book for them called High Strange, where they they went to these architects went around to like all these abandoned like like military sites or like I mean so something like the boneyard which is featured in it's it's in Arizona it's a place where they like all these old you know like retired uh, Air Force jets are are basically mothballed and it's like miles and miles of like you know like bombers and like helicopters and all kinds of like things like that and then he'd also they also think they tried to get into Area 51, they couldn't, but they got to like these missile bases. So I would see his draw, you know, his like 3D renderings of these things, and they were amazing. And I was like, wow, Christian, I don't know if you still want to do comics, but like, you know, I, I like, I have this idea and I think you'd be perfect for it. And literally, there was never any other artist that was considered for it. And then, but just, you know, even seeing that style and seeing what he did and bringing it to life was like, yeah, it was better than anything I imagined. Was it? Just um, so odd to see your story and, and then seeing it rendered in 3D like that just must have gave it such a different light and a different lifelike feel that you've probably never experienced before. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're, you're describing it really well. I mean, I love – look, the, working with artists is my favorite part of, of, of comics or yeah. at least – you know, like the, when I get new pages, as much as, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I love when something comes out and, and I get to, you know, yeah, like an audience gets to like, read it. Like, oh my I don't God, wanna... I didn't even think of it that way. And oh, but look what you did. <laughs> but really, I, I have to say with almost every artist that I work with, there's that feeling. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, in just in some different ways where they, they do like, they make what I do. Like, so, you know, they, they take my imagination and, and, and just take it to another level. But yeah, with, yeah, with Christian, it, it was so particularly different. And, but I think what's amazing is, and this is just my opinion, like, even though it's, it, it's all 3d rendered and the technology and stuff is great is that he was able to like, it doesn't feel stiff. Like it, the, the, the characters still feel very human to me. And he was able to get a lot of that emotion across. And where I think most people who, who are like, you know, have that, have the skill of like, okay, I can, you see a lot of concept artists who are great at who are either, you know, they're, they're great at making machines and maybe they're not great at character or maybe they are great at character, but they're not great at storytelling. And Christian just has all those tools. Yeah. Um, and I should also mention Lee Lowridge did the colors for it. And, and he came fantastic. in very late in the process. And just that was another thing where that was, was nothing like I envisioned, but like, I so glad he came on. Like he just killed it. And it's just a, a gorgeous book to look at. I always feel like when you see a new book and they're just so gorgeous and the, the art is amazing and the writing is amazing. The colorists are, they're not overlooked. I mean, especially nowadays, it seems like the colorists are, get, are starting to get more of their due than they have in the past. But now, now you're starting to get the letterist, the le, you know, the letterer actually starting to get their play because man, if your balloons are not properly placed and the letters just don't look right, oh my God, it'll kill your book. And I'm glad you brought awesome. that up because oh I'm sorry go ahead no no Please. I'm just saying in the dark they, it looks great I can't wait to actually read the whole series it's yeah so Thomas Maurer who did his, like has become like basically my go-to letterer yeah like he did great a great of empires he did the dark he's doing God Killers which is the new book that I have out now and some stuff in the future nice and I'm probably leaving out stuff that we've done together but he's fantastic and I feel like letterers are just like the unsung heroes of comics, I feel like people tend to not notice what they're doing unless it's goes wrong. 
but it's like they're so responsible just not not like for just yes that like somebody like thomas and other letters i've worked with can do really cool things that like stand out but it's like they're basically part of like what's guiding your like half of what's guiding your eye around the page yep, right like yep. the artist is doing a lot of heavy lifting with that it's like and especially like i tend to be really verbose it gets cut down but even even after editing it's still like you know so to make it work to not cover up the art like there's just um you know but i feel like he's you know thomas and 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 other letters that i uh, letters that i work with but i've been lucky enough to, to get to keep working with thomas is like he's a storytelling partner you know i mean at this point i feel like you know, when I say this as a writer, like we we're in a place where it's look, it's great that writers get attention, um, right. especially because you know compared to like film, when you know they they they'll list a director, but like you may not, you know, yeah, like it, it's, but you know, definitely it, this is a collaborative medium in the same way that film is. It's and, a team. Yeah, it, it is, and you know, it's you're only as good as your as your weakest link, yeah. and so I've been. I've been very, very, very fortunate to to have like great artistic collaborators, and by that I'm talking across the board: artists, letterers, yeah, that's awesome, colorists. I love it. Yeah, I just when you see a good book, and 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 that your book looks magnificent. It's so pretty, and I can't wait because I, I didn't get a, I haven't had a chance to like sit and read it, and I'm going to order it off of Comicsology so I can, you know, because I go back when I learn that oh this is the person coming on, I go in, I. I start watching interviews that you've done. I try to do as much research as I can to get an idea of what you got going on because it's impossible to read all the books out there. You know what I mean? Oh my God. No. So yeah. And you just to read pile. Of but when I get someone coming on our show and then I get to see a book and it looks like that, I'm like, Oh, Oh my Lord. <laughs> I can't wait to get into that because I'm like somebody who starts reading it and I can't stop, you know? And so it just, it looks fantastic. And, one of the first things that I see every time is the lettering because can I read it? If I can't read it, then it's like, I don't even, you know, the art can be amazing, but if I can't read the story, what's the point? It's yeah. It's, you, you know, you don't want to, I think with anything you, you just, I, for me as a reader, I don't want to be taken out of the story, whether yeah, that's the letter exactly. or whether it's the writer. Yeah. Um, it all whether it's, you know, and, 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 you know, like, I think that's where I get picky sometimes where it's like, yeah, there are certain, you know, it's like, and I'm trying to balance it myself, which is like, as a writer, I want to have a very, you know, you want to have a distinct voice, but I also, I'm hoping the reader is not too aware of me and what I'm doing. Like, I want them yeah. to be immersed in the story. So you're trying to strike a balance between you don't, you want it, your, your voice to be unique, but you don't want to draw, I don't want to draw attention to myself where it's like, oh, okay. I like, look at the stylistic flourish that like, right. you know, yeah, it's cool. But if it takes you out of the story now, you should, you should cut it. Right. Um, and I should just mention for comicsology, and it's less to plug myself than just to say, because I know a lot of people are, are in right now. And sorry, with, with the dark, I meant, and yeah. you know, definitely please support your retailers if you're, you know, if, if it's safe I, and they're open, because um, many are open. Do have like curbside service now and mailing, you know, or doing mail order stuff. But with comic with uh, with the dark, which is at this point only on comicsology right now, it was a comicsology original. Yeah, it is. If you are, I believe if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, but definitely if you're a Comixology Unlimited or a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, it's free. Nice. Um, so, you know, now that so many of us are, hopefully maybe when people are listening to this, less of us are sitting at home, but because so many of us are home, it's just, okay, a free thing that, that, that people can can check out. And um, Well, we'll 
you know. Actually, that's good to know because John, we should just push that out on Twitter or Facebook. Oh yeah, for sure. Pod.net. Amazing yeah. story from Mark Fable and the whole, and then list list all the whole team that worked on that book. Yeah, and then. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah that because be. that would be amazing, especially right now. If people don't know that they can get it for, you know, if they're Amazon Prime or Kindle Unlimited or or Comicsology Unlimited, they can get it for free. Which I'm actually a subscriber to all three of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am too. So it's it's all my money goes to goes back to right? people that pay me. But but um, it's uh. I should, there's a couple of people I didn't mention on the creative team that were pretty oh, important. Um, and I'll probably still be leaving people out, but um, Will Dennis was the, uh, came in as an editor and really he's so, if you don't know Will Dennis, like basically any great, like not any, but most of the great like vertigo books of like, you know, 90s, the aughts, like into the 2010s and stuff where, where, you know, he had a hand in scalped and I'm going to leave a few, but he was just really great. Like I, I actually enjoy, I think editors are also underappreciated where I think we tend to think of them as it's different. I think when you're doing work for hire where, you know, then they're balancing like 20 different books and you're worried about like pleasing a corporation, but you know, he just gave me some amazing notes, but also we had an editorial consultant named May rude who is, um, I a have creator a, in her own right. I have a character. I actually have questions about may and oh, about, well, please go yeah, uh, and I'm going to interrupt you just because I don't want you to give anything away. No. Um, so you created Camille, and she's a trans biopunk in the dark. Yes. And there's not a lot of characters that fit that hit that population of people. There just isn't. There's more and more coming out, which is great. I think that everybody deserves a voice, especially in in my opinion, the greatest medium that you can share a story in and i'm curious how has the trans community embraced what you've done with her as a character and introducing her into a brand you know in in the dark and then how has may guided you through presenting a trans character because i know that they have been a big reporter and advocate for trans uh rights so may is just the best so the re- the response so far has been overwhelmingly positive like i haven't if there's been any negative response, I haven't seen it. And yeah, it was it was definitely it was a concern that both Comicsology and I had, which was that you know we didn't have a tra- we didn't have a trans creative team, and we did try to bring one. I mean, you know, we already had the artist was Christian and I were already locked in. Yeah, I already had a letter that I was working for, so we did reach out for other members and just couldn't make it work because we felt like you know I, I you know I'm I'm a straight white male, so like I didn't want to. You know, like I, I wanted to have a more diverse team, and it just was something. Sure, we just couldn't find a trans person to that that, that you know, like could could not that they're. I mean, that's not they, not, not they couldn't do it. I mean, right? Like, well, you don't want to misrepresent Literally, anything. the people that we were asking weren't available, and thankfully yeah. they were getting work. And so we hired May as just to be a consultant, and she was really great. There were just things that I wouldn't, I just wouldn't know. I'm trying to think of like specific examples about, but just. I think, but one of the things that I think was just great about it, it wasn't, she wasn't there to just be like, you can't do this and you can't do that. It was very, it was a much more, and I wanted her to feel like, you know, first of all, like, don't feel like you can only give notes on trans things. Like, you know, you're, you're like, you're part of the team, like, like, tell us what you think. And also I didn't want her to feel the pressure of like, okay, well you have to speak for the entire trans community. Like it's impossible, right? right? Like, you know, I'm Jewish. Like I would, 
in fact, I was asked by a friend once to be like, Oh, will you look at this? And I'm like, I will, but like, don't, don't expect me, please. Like, I don't want to be the person like, you know, to get you in trouble. Cause I wasn't offended by something, but somebody else, right. but, but it wasn't like with that, it was just in what, what she pointed out was like that, like, I guess like transhumanism is not surprisingly. And, and, and that aspect of science fiction is, is something that is like very appealing to a lot of trans people. Certainly yeah. not to everybody, but like that was something that I hadn't even really realized. And I think that like, you know, just the idea of being able to transform your body. And and that was part of why I felt it was essential to have that character, which is like it, you know, the stakes for her without giving anything away. I mean, part of what motivates her is a desire to, 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 to change her, her, her parts of her biology, um, Camille. So, yeah. you know, and, and when you're, trans like that's that's something that is a lot to deal with but it at the same time it it made me realize like one of the things that i discussed i think i came in with this assumption that like if you're trans like maybe you're like you would hate your body and it's like no it's not it's not like that it wasn't this you know and i think everybody may be different but there were just things that like you know she opened my eyes to and it's a perspective i just never would have had on my own and i i think it just is yeah, I, and I think hopefully it, it makes for a richer character. I mean, it certainly wasn't, you know, it was important to me that it felt like I was trying to be respectful of the trans community and yeah. have, and, and genuinely have learned about that experience and that's, but not pander to them. Right. So, you know, we didn't, we want people to know, like, you know, like I'm proud that, hopefully, I'm proud of the book and I'm, I'm, you know, proud that I got to work with May and I, I, I Camille is one of my favorite characters that I've ever gotten to write. But at the same time, like, I'm not, you know, I feel like, I'm not saying anybody is, but it was very something I was very, didn't want it to be like, oh, hey, trans people pick up this book. Like, you know, like, oh, like, I I I mean, I hope they do, but I hope everybody does. And, you know, I wanted, I, you know, you want to steer clear of negative stereotypes. And also, I didn't want Camille to just be defined by the fact that she's trans. So like, yeah, she's a biopunk, which for if people don't know what that word is, it's like there are people now that are kind of even now, but I think we'll see more of it in the future that are like experimenting on their own body. Right. That can be anything from like putting microchips in themselves to like, there's a huge you know, community doing this. Right. And so, you know, she is somebody that's incredible at, at, at what she does and she has other skills, I think too. And I think she's very, very much somebody that like is, hopefully has a lot of agency and is driving her story at the same time, you know, the, the co-protagonist of the book is, is Carver, who is this former cyber soldier who's wounded in war and gets these, like you said, these genetic eyes and is hunting them down, hunting, hunting Camille down. So like, it's, it's interesting. I, I thought when I was writing it originally, I think Carver felt like they were, he was the main character, but then by the end of it, I felt like Camille is, at least as much, if not more. I mean, she winds up nar- narrating the book. Yeah, um, it's, Camille's, and, is, it's Camille's story at the end of the day. And then and Carver is just a driving force within the story. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's... it's it's And, and I, I I hope that that's what I, I hope comes across is that, yeah. you know, they, they all have their own, like, inner lives and... and it's it's a science fiction story and it's near future and it, there was a lot of research that went into it but at the same time i think it's it's kind of like a a manhunt sort of story of like you know 
like or a, like a like a bounty hunter story. It's almost like a western, and, and in fact, some of the, a lot of it takes place in like so in this world. I don't think it's too big of a spoiler, but Texas is sort of so in, in the real world. Like Texas has its own grid; it's the only state with its own grid. Yeah. And so one of the things I envisioned was like, oh well, you know, Texas has a very independent streak. It was its own republic before it was a state, and then it was, you know, seceded, they still the, you know, during the Confederacy. And there are still people who want to. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, well, if this worldwide disaster happened and they had their own grid and so it wasn't affected, like, actually, like, you know, they do become this independent state and they build a wall. But it's actually to keep Americans out as much as people on the Mexican side of the border <laughs> so because Texan. people want to go <laughs> and get and they want the electric, the electric, you know, electricity still running there. Yeah. But there's other problems that, that come along with that. And, you know, you get to see it's a, you know, again, where I give Christian a lot of credit is it's a story that really like, it's very globetrotting. And I think, you know, had I probably realized how difficult it was for him to create all these different locations, I probably would have created less, but it goes from like, you know, the like Eastern Europe to Salt Lake city, to Texas, to Cuba, to China, so um, it really is a little bit of globe trotting going trotting on. Story, <laughs> um, yeah. So um, poor, poor Christian. Um, I mean, he just did amazing things, and but he, you know, that means he's like creating a set. It's like just building a set. Um, yeah. Like um, it, it's like the equivalent of shooting on location. He really did. It's, it's, it sounds a tremendous amazing. amount of work. I honestly can't wait to read it. The one thing I liked is your description of Camille, it doesn't sound like you made her trans, like you said, to pander. It just made sense for the story, for everything that's going on. That type of person and the strength that they have to exude to get through what they're doing, it just, you know, you just created a character that is perfect for the story. And I I can't wait to actually read it. Well, yeah, I, thank you. And I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think when, when you get a chance. Yeah, I will. Hey, how has Tim Hetherington impacted your life and what does his documentary mean to you? So Tim Hetherington was a, a war photographer and won an Oscar. He, who won an Oscar for a movie called Restrepo, mm-hmm. which was the, the written by Sebastian Junger, who probably a lot of people have heard of, who did The Perfect Storm. He's a like nonfiction writer that like really goes out into the world. So Tim and, and, and Sebastian did a, did this movie Restrepo and Tim also did a accompanying it's a hard uh, movie to watch. photography book called Infidel. Yeah, Restrepo is really hard to watch. And it's about this uh, combat outpost named for a fallen soldier uh, in Afghanistan. So when I did Graveyard of Empires, which is about, it's an image book in trade now. It's about basically the, the quick version is Marines and Taliban teaming up against zombies in Afghanistan. Yeah. is the very uh, short pitch. And but the idea behind it was that, like, the zombies are, and I, again, this came out in 2011, so zombies were not quite <laughs> yeah, what they are today, welcome yeah. in the way they maybe have now. So the idea is that zombies are kind of a metaphor in that book for insurgents and this idea of there's this counterinsurgency theory where if you, you know, like, you can't just kill your way out of an insurgency. Like, if you kill somebody in, in an area that where there's insurgents, like, you can create 10 more because you've just pissed off their friends, their family, their social circle, and you can radicalize them. Um, right. And this has been true, you know, right. So exactly. Yeah. That's what it's called. And I had forgotten. So thank you. <laughs> so in this case, if you kill somebody in a place where people are coming back from the dead and then they bite and infect like 10 other people, 
it's supposed to be a metaphor, but so I did that book with Paul as a set and we, um, yeah, so thank you. I mean, it, does. Um, so it, it we, makes perfect sense to explain what insurgent math is. I've tried to explain it to somebody before and they just don't get it. Like, why can't you just kill everybody there? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, and it's, you know, been a look, you know, not like I, I think it took our military a while to, to realize that. Um, yeah. and even then it's still, you know, it's the, the histories of like successful It's a whole other topic of like the histories of successful counterinsurgencies are very, very few. Mark, um, you, you know, you, know you, can, you can look at the Roman empire and how they went from city state to city state. And then finally to areas that didn't even have, uh, well, you know, popular versions of civilization, like in like taking over Ireland and taking over uh, the, you know, the, the Island of, of United Kingdom or England. What did they do? They, they first they built roads to get there, but then they incorporated the own locals' lore into their religion, into their thought process, and then reintroduced it to them to make it feel familiar. And that's how you take over a society. And that's exactly how they did it. First, they did it with shock and awe, just like we do. But then they infected the uh, the local insurgents and in how they actually entered their thought process. And that's a lot what. What I think uh, Graveyard of Empires kind of kind of does in, in in its own like effortless way. Well, yeah, that's uh, trying to, and you know, it's you mentioned the Romans, and it's like part of the reason we set it in Afghanistan was because you know the reason it's called Graveyard of Empires is so many so many empires have tried to invade and then have subsequently fallen. Yeah. Like whether or not there's any causality there, that's a different question. Right. But if you think about it, it's Russia. like Alexander the Great, Russia, the British, like us like you know being the u.s but so so with with the book because you know you you started talking about tim hetherington so you know what's amazing about restrepo and about infidel his book is just like it shows you just the day-to-day life of what it's like for people who are serving there yeah um and just uh i was just blown away by it and it was some of the thing that we really tried hard to do and again this isn't 2011 there there weren't and, and, you know, so that's when it came out. I want to say, so we were working on it before that. And just like, it was real. So in addition to just being inspired by by his work and trying to like, there's a particular like two page sequence in that book that just is like silent and, and pause. So I did an amazing job with it where it's just, you're seeing, if you read it horizontally, you see an individual soldier, like going through the, their or Marine going through their day and all the different tasks they have to do. But if you read it, and then if you read it horizontally, so, I mean, going down, it's different soldiers. So vertically, it's different soldiers. Horizontally, you're, it's going across time. So you can read it either way. And it just hopefully is a way of like establishing these characters visually in, in, in making and humanizing them before they start getting shot and fighting and all that kind of stuff. So in addition to just providing this visual inspiration, and so like that sequence would never have existed without looking at the stuff that Tim had done. I reached out, and again, this is early days of Twitter, like, I reached out to, to him because I was looking for, that. what was really hard to find at that point was, you could find books about Marines or, like, British Special Forces, yeah. but, like, it was very hard to find anything from the Taliban's perspective or from Afghan civilians' perspective. And I reached out to him on Twitter and was just like, I'm writing this book, can you have any suggestions? And he was somebody who run an Oscar, didn't have to give me the time of day, gave us some great some great leads, other journalists, other 
books to read, documentaries, things like that. So he was incredibly gracious about that. I, the book That's would cool. not have just had any kind of thing. Unfortunately, he he was he was killed in Libya not long after. Um, you know, doing what what he did. And there's a there's another documentary about his life that I'm forgetting the name of. H, I believe HBO did it. Yeah. Just about his entire life. He was just this remarkable person that. So not only is just risking his lives in these war zones, like he was not the, like a cowboy kind of person. He did work in, I want to say it was, I know it was West Africa and I'm forgetting the country. It might be Liberia. I don't want to get it wrong, but yeah. um, he, he was after the shooting stopped and people weren't interested in his picture, he would stay and help the people there. He actually really just really cared about it. And so the book is Graveyard of Empires is it's dedicated to, to him. There, there, you have a story that I read of a Marine coming up to you with the cover of, I think it's the first cover with the, the helmet, the skull and the poppy seeds coming behind it. And he wanted to yes. ask for permission from Paul Aceta if you could have it as a tattoo. And I was kind of hoping you can yeah. maybe expand on it. Yeah. So, you know, San Diego, um, is, is, a, has, is where, where, you know, where Comic-Con is every year is as a huge military presence, you know, the, uh, there's na- Naval port, there's, uh, you know, uh, Camp Pendleton's not, far by with, with, with Marines. Uh, there's also a Naval Air Station. So the first San Diego that we had Graveyard of Empires come out, I think, yeah, it was definitely the first one. So this would have been 2011. I think we had maybe two or three issues. And yeah, this uh, Marine came up to us and was like, he asked for permission. So like you said, the cover is this skull with a poppy. So poppy representing to me, it was rep- it represents the opium trade there. It's interesting yeah. because since I've talked to people after uh, they've uh, like people have kept asking like, oh, was it inspired by there's like Flanders Field? So if you saw there's a famous poem about like like you know, about poppy seeds and Fl- and you know in England like people wear poppies as a it's from World War One like right. as a you know as a symbol of it. So it, it wound up having a meaning that I didn't even intend, but that actually wound up working. But so yeah, he he came up and was like he had he had served I think he had done two tours. Wow, and he wanted to like so the the poppy like is intertwined with the skull and like there's these roots that go and he wanted to have in the roots like to put to ask if he could use the tattoo and you know use the 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 symbol and then like write the names of of like his like fallen comrades essentially like have that tattooed in the in the in the amongst the roots and you know both paul and i were there and you know like the answer was of course but like it's just like I, I, you know, it was one of the most profound things I, I, I've had where so, like, I was like, you know, like you just, I, I certainly was very cognizant of like doing a lot of research and Paul was as well. Like we want to get the military stuff as good as we can. Like I yeah. know neither of us served, it's not going to be perfect. And in some cases we like, you know, we chose to like veer from reality just so that the story would work. But yeah. Um, you know, so that somebody else like that, it connect that it not only like didn't somebody like somebody just wasn't mad that we didn't, that we didn't screw it up, but that like, e- even that the image resonated was, was just an incredibly moving thing. And, and yeah, it was an amazing, and, and other people, came, other, you know, like service people came up to us at that same, you know, convention to talk. And, and it's been something that, that keeps happening, you know, not to that extreme level, but it, it's, it's a really, I'm always like honored when anybody in the military comes up and talks about my work because I, you know, I do really try. Yeah. Yeah, It's, and it's, it's, it is, it is still surreal. Like, and it still feels like, 
even though like I've now like, you know, worked, you know, officially in an official capacity with the military again, like, you yeah. know, I mean, it's in a very safe way, but like, it's, it still just doesn't, yeah, it still doesn't feel real to me. And I still feel like, you know, yeah, it's just still like this I, kind of imposter syndrome. Yeah, where I, feel I don't like, think oh, I well, can you know, imagine I'm, my work having an impact to a serviceman or, you know, anybody really, but to have somebody who's gone through the horrors of war to come up and say, Hey, I, I love this work and I want to put it on my body and then add my fallen comrades to it is just must be like, I don't know. It would just blow me away. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there's part of me that's like, wait, you sure you want to like, win your, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, but it's, I mean, it's Paul's art. So it's like, yeah. okay, you know, I mean, I mean, Paul, dude, that guy, yeah, this guy's was, amazing. He, he he truly is, and yeah, he's as great of a person as he is an artist. I have That's to say. Awesome. Um, so, you have God Killers out now through AfterShock. Yes. Yeah. How is that going? So it is going very very well so far. So uh, it's the first book I've done with AfterShock. The first book I've had in print in a while because of the dark. The yeah. Dark and a, a book called Dracula, Son of the Dragon came out in the fall. But before right. that had been a while since I've had something come out. But God Killers, yeah, just came out in February. It's, it's, I consider it like a spiritual sequel to Grave Ride of Empires. So the story is basically, it's about a special forces team that fights insurgents who are using mythological creatures as supernatural weapons of mass destruction. Oh, cool. And... So it's very much again this military horror mashup, but no no zombies. I promise, I'm sworn off. And <laughs> each in each That's culture, so it it takes place in like you know, like first issue takes place in the Philippines. I can say like some other places it goes to are like Syria and even to the Ukraine and and even back to the United States. And it's very much part of the the the, the focus of the book is is trying to like. Is is using those region like every conflict that's happening in the book is real. So like there was a there was an Islamic insurgency, an ISIS like affiliated insurgency in a place called Marawi in the in the Philippines. Right. Um. That that there was a terrible city battle that like got almost no coverage. Right. In in America, like I didn't find out about it until right before I was writing this book. Um. And so each of the, it's a way of sort of shedding lights on these conflicts, but yeah. like also exploring the folklore so there are very specific monsters um to and and creatures to these like that are very specific to the cultures I should also mention the protect like i think another thing that makes the book stand out was you know I'm very conscious that like okay with unthinkable and with favorite of empires you know that there i'm showing it's not the only depiction i have but like I'm showing I'm showing character Muslims and and and, and Arabs or, or well or Afghans as terrorists and and although in graveyard we we try to we have civilians and we have people who are working for the Afghan National Army or the Afghan National Police like you know having a I, I want to make it clear to people that, that that's not the only it, it's never been my intention but it's not the only side of that so the main character in God Killers his name is Philip Al Hazred he's an Arab American and. If you recognize the name Al Hazred, it's it's like a Lovecraftian reference. It's just kind of a like an Easter egg thing. But I love that. he's an Arab American folklore professor slash army reservist. So he had his specialty is, you know, his like sort of monster mythology folklore. 
but he was able to pay for his education by joining the army. And it was one of those people that never really thought they would necessarily have to fight. Yeah. War and terror happens and, you know, he finds himself there. And it's very much, while yes, it's an action horror book, he's so, while he's an Arab American and was raised Muslim, he, at the beginning of the book, is an atheist. And, you know, so the, the subtitle of the first issue, I think, is called The Atheist in the Foxhole, because there's that famous line there's no such thing as an atheist than a foxhole. So it's like, right. what really was the driving thing for me about this book and got me, was able to get me to connect on a personal level more than just like, yeah, I'm interested in monsters and I'm interested in guns and things like that, <laughs> I, you know, like, and, and war and things like that was like this idea of like, well, what if, you know, you're somebody that like, I, you know, like I'm somebody that definitely is and probably, you know, I'm Jewish, but I'm an agnostic. Like, and if I had to go to war, like I would be very, very scared of dying. And in a way that I, I wonder if people of faith would maybe not share, like would not share that feeling. And so right. he goes into it feeling with that, but then it's like, well, okay, what happens if like, then he's confronted with the supernatural and you know, what does it mean? And what does it mean? Like whether they're, especially if it's not from his religion and then what if it is from his religion? And what, what if it's, you're seeing the monsters, you're not seeing the angels. And so I think there is some, hopefully, some really interesting character stuff and philosophical stuff in there, in yeah. addition to just action. And I should mention the the artist there is Mon House, um, who is a Paraguayan artist. Nice. Um, and Thomas Mauer is doing the letters again. Uh, Hernan Cabrera, who I believe is Argentinian, is a colorist on it. And I also Love there's the some people that are thanked in the book. I I used, I, I had people from some Muslim from like an Emirati who is, but who is, well, somebody who's living in the Emirates, a Filipino Muslim yeah. and a Palestinian Muslim consult on the book. Oh, cool. So they're thanked, in, they're thanked in it. I, I just wanted to make sure having an Arab American character and having at the same time, you know, ISIS in it that like, I was not just totally screwing up uh, a religion that I belong, that I you know that I, that I don't belong to. Yeah. Um, well, and to, to, to kind of bring it around or to actually bring this up this next, I think this is a perfect segue is that you're actually working with domain entertainment out of Dubai or have in the past. And you're like one of the first Westerners and you went, didn't you go there to their first, one of their first comic cons that was in the middle East and everything? Yeah, so I went to what I believe was the first Middle Eastern Comic Con. So at least That's awesome. if you're not including Israel, like in, you're right. including the Arab world, you know, just the Arab world. Yeah, back in 2012, I went for the first time and then I went again in 2015. Had an amazing time, incredibly just like, just especially the first one, like probably the, like, I mean, I've, American conventions are great, but like yeah. the best convention I've ever been to because they had never had having never had like comic creators come and visit, like, you know, like I'm very aware that I'm not like, you know, that like, I'm not Brian Michael Bendis. I'm not Jonathan Hickman. Right. Um, and they're who are great people. I'm not just saying like, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, like an A-list comic creator. I'm not Frank Miller, you know, I'm not like, and, but you would have thought that I was, they were so excited to have anybody there. They were just, and, and just incredibly welcoming. And, and it's just, I mean, Dubai is just this, a fascinating place. I mean, I've, I've never seen wealth like that. Like, and, and I mean, it's, it's just was, but it was an incredible experience. And so, yeah, I, the second time I went back was to promote 
they had asked me, a local Emirati there had asked, had come up with a great idea for a comic series uh, that's called the Armagandis. And I, they asked me to, to sort of translate, he had written it like a prose outline that was almost like a novel to like translate, you know, to sort of adapt it into comics form along with an Italian artist named Dennis Medri. And uh, and Thomas Mauer worked on that too. So yeah, she's he's, he's stuck with me for all these books. <laughs> um, but I mean, so the the not funny part. So it, it was great. It was a really cool experience. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I went to promote that book, and it, so, so, this may or may not be in your research. So this when when I went back in 2015. So the first year, they they gave us. They were just the most gracious hosts and took us all over. But the right. one thing they didn't take us to that they took another the the like celebrity group to i think not because they weren't treating us better it was just they were doing different things like yeah. jason momoa and and this woman from the walking dead um forgetting who played andrea on the walking dead like she was oh, one yeah, of, yeah, some yeah, of the yeah, people the girl. Uh, um, i'm forgetting i'm forgetting her name, her name but i know very nice but but so like they got to go on this desert safari so i got in a day early the second time i went to to MEFCC, the Middle East Comic Con. Yeah. And I, so I was like, oh, I'd love to go on that safari. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll hook you up. And so I went, I wasn't off the plane four hours. I went on my first and last ATV ride. I got thrown from the oh, ATV and shattered my right arm. Oh. So I had to be flown back to the States and get like emergency surgery. But again, to just tell you how wonderful the people are, the convention organizer, this name, guy named Arafat Ali Khan, he and an artist that I had become friends with named Leilani Coughlin, who is one of the like people that wound up consulting for God Killers, they both stayed with me in the hospital until oh, I left. In so fact, nice. I actually had to tell Arafat that like I was like, you go need to literally he needed to go pick up William Shatner. Like he had a convention <laughs> to run. Like I was like, Leilani's here with me. You please go and do your job. I, I mean, but it was so appreciative and it's yeah. like yeah, you never forget something like that. And you hear like a lot like, oh, people, how hospitable people are, the hospitality in the Middle East and in Arab culture. And I really saw it firsthand. I mean, um, cool. you know, it's, it's something I, I, you know, I'll never forget. And so, yeah, I want to, so Leilani is actually a comic creator and just an artist in the Middle East. She lives in, in, in the UAE. So check out her work. Yeah. She's just a great artist. You should get um, her on and have her Leilani talk about Coughlin it. And Marwa Hamade, I'm pro- hopefully pronouncing your name right because we've talked over internet, like it's 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 complicated communicating with Dubai um, and the UAE because like the, their government basically like blocked like I want to say not fake, like but blocked like Skype they blocked Google Hangouts I don't know exactly what the story is so it's like I had one I had a long phone conversation with Leilani about the book that like it <laughs> was like cost me a fortune and then um the rest we just had to do over writing so anyway if i can't pronounce marwa's last name i I apologize but both of them were just wonderful about you know about sharing and 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 just sorry i'm losing my voice it's okay you know a little bit but yeah please go ahead no no i'm just saying would if i told you we've been on over an hour would you believe it no, um, but <laughs> time flies, man. Now and you're like, hey, but I hope that means I have just rambling. But no, you've um, been great. I've I've, been, I've enjoyed because I've been enjoying this a lot. Yeah, well, I feel like I've asked asked the right questions that made you want to stay on that long and and keep talking about things. <laughs> I love Absolutely. it. You've, you've had people on. And it's like pulling teeth. It really is. It's like, oh, 
you know, and you ask questions and then, and then, uh, they're just not prepared for it, but that's okay. No, this was awesome. Mark, I, I'm excited. I'm legit excited to get into the dark. I read graveyard of empires. And when you came, when I started doing research, I was like, I read this. <laughs> I didn't know that was Mark oh, Sable. <laughs> so yeah, that was, it was awesome. So, so that made me uh, think of, of Tim Hetherington because I saw you mentioned Tim and I was like, Oh my God. I remember watching his, that movie. I'll say it wrong. Rest part. Oh, Restrepo. Restrepo. Uh, and I remember seeing it and going, I don't think I could watch this again. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, and, there was a book that, so I read, I watched that and then Sebastian Younger wrote a book called, I believe it was called War, but I maybe that was like the book that go, that went along with the documentary. Yeah. And then Tim did a photo book called Infidel. And actually I like one of the main characters has Infidel tattooed across their back as like a little tribute there. It's That's yeah, awesome. it's a hard, I mean, look, it's, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to watch. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, I'm just trying to look up what the name of the documentary about his life was. I think I mean, might just from the things that you're into and what you've written about, I, I would highly suggest you check out the book called Burmese Moon by <laughs> Sophie Ansel. Yeah. It's out of IDW. She spent five or six years investigating and traveling Burma and going over the atrocities of human trafficking there and then wrote a graphic novel about it. It's her first and only graphic novel she ever did, and it's amazing. And she had Sam Garcia do the art out of Spain, and the guy is just phenomenal. And, he, and it, you read the story, and it's the same kind of thing. You read it, and you're just like, "It's hard to read." How? Yeah, it's hard to read. Like, how is this going on, and no one doing anything about it? It's hard to read that, and the fact that it's just, it just by the end of it, you're you're emotional, and you're like, "Oh my god, what did I just read?" It's, but it's yeah, it's good. It's just it's it's you get to the end, and you're like, "Man, that was tough." I, I just added it to my card on Amazon. I'm going to see if I can hopefully find a retailer to get it from. Oh, per- <laughs> but, well, um, it's, but if I, I can't, on, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely need to check it out. It's, it's, it's really good. And then Sophie Ansel is an amazing person. She does like 3D movies. No, she's just like, no, not 3D. They're VR movies. Oh, yeah. VR movies. Sorry. Oh. Virtual reality movies. Yeah. She directs like 10 minute, 10 minute long virtual reality movies. And they're, I, we're looking forward to checking them out once we have the equipment to actually watch one. <laughs> I yeah I have like I have the PlayStation VR thing which doesn't unfortunately like it's I've only really used it actually once it's kind of well, like <laughs> I used it for like to play the Star Wars Battlefront had like a oh, like cool. a Rogue One tie-in mission that was very cool but yeah I can't do like a lot of those experiences that you could do with the Rift or the yeah the other stuff but this looks great to check out like I I always admire the people who do that kind of like on the ground journal. Like I'm not a journal. Like, you know, I, I'm very clear that like, I, I, I hope people will like, if they read graveyard of empires, they'll like, Oh, maybe then they'll check out Restrepo or something. But I yeah. don't, I hope that people don't think I'm like trying to pretend I'm like one of these people that goes to like, I have so much respect for people who do this. I just read, you know, you're talking about it's like, I just was reading, finished reading pa- Palestine, the Joe Sacco book. And that was another book where, and I think I, I felt like I was really read up on, on Israel and Palestine. I've read a lot of like nonfiction books, but that's another book that's like, it's really good, but it's, yeah, I would not oh, want Palestine? to read it again. Yeah. By Joe Sacco. I mean, it's, you know, it's a very, it, it's definitely like, there's no, it's not, it's a book that's like very much like Palestinian 
like side of the conflict. There's, you know, it's does not try to give you the Israeli side. It's upfront about that. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a controversial book, but I think it's, and it's, it may be a little bit dated in that, you know, I think it was written in the nineties, but I still think it's like one of those, I mean, certainly it's a seminal graphic novel. I don't know what it, you know, I think usually here when people talk about like nonfiction graphic novels, it's usually like the ones that get mentioned are mouse that, yeah. and then like Persepolis and, I reread how to rewrite reread mouse for my comic class that I teach. And that was hard enough, man. It's like, yeah. I, I, it's just, I, well, I read mouse back in the nineties. I don't, you know, and, and it, sometimes I want to pick it up, but I just remember being so like, it was just, yeah. You know, certain things just affect you in, in a way. And you're just like, I don't know if I want to revisit that. <laughs> it's, you know, like, even even for graveyard, like yeah, it's like Restrepo is hard to watch. I watched. Yeah. I remember I would watch a lot of like, I watched a lot of like just YouTube combat footage, and it's like, it's hard, and and I feel bad. There's like it's people, some people's job at like Facebook, and and maybe at YouTube too. I don't know, but certainly at Facebook, like where there are people who have to watch, like, you know, when you see something get taken down, like because it's too like you know yeah. you're not supposed to show like violence or murder i forget I, I never you know like hate it's okay but like yeah. you can't show violence or murder and so like okay. there are people whose job it is is to watch this stuff yeah and like it, it, it it's like when, they when do you become you know, desensitized I, yeah you can get weirdly enough you can get like ptsd from that actually one of the things that i've learned from working with the air force is like drone pilots have like one of the highest rates of ptsd in the military which you would think oh. You'd think you would not, it's like counterintuitive because you'd think like, wait a minute, like they are. You'd see it as a video um, game. Yeah, it's like a video game, but a lot of it's because like they go from, they'll go from their trailers like outside of Vegas and then they'll go, they'll where they're watching a target for like days, weeks. They see them like, they're like intimately following their lives and then they're ending their lives, right? And then they're going home like that night to be with their family, like in a, to be, you know, in suburbia. Yeah. And in fact, like where, and they find that like part of what PTSD, like part of what helps people cope better is like, it's different when your life is at risk, but also when you're surrounded with other people and you are isolated from like experience. Yeah. It's very hard to, 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 to like navigate that transition. I mean, it's hard to navigate that transition if you're coming home, but it's a surprising thing. And it took a while for the air force to address it because I think, you know, there, there's still a culture in the Air Force. I mean, the people that I've worked with are great and they're really thinking. And But it's like there's still a culture where like they've, you know, the pilot is the top gun is still kind of the ideal, even yeah. though that's, you know, getting phased out. You know, I mean, not tomorrow, but like, you know, more and more like things are being coming automated. They don't, you know, they don't realize that like, yeah, that like you may not be, you know, you may not be flying a jet and, and you know, dropping bombs directly over the target or you know, you may not be flying cargo into a danger zone, but like it is still can be psychologically like heavy job. Yeah. That is, that's, yeah, that would just, I don't think I could do it. I, I honestly don't think I could do that. I, I know I, would, I couldn't. I, I, yeah. I'd go nuts. Yeah. That would be it. I mean, the first time I did it, I, I'd, I'd probably, I'd be so depressed. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I could do that. That's, that's yeah. heavy. I, yeah, I I mean, there's so much that I, I mean, yeah, just like it's it, it it is crazy. I'm very thankful. I mean, and it's 
I mean, one of the things that's thematically about unthinkable, I think was driven was, you know, like I, I lived in New York during nine 11 and yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, Oh, and the tower almost fell on me or something right. like it. You know, <laughs> I, I was very safe. And, but you know, I remember in fact, like the, the thing that's been very, it's like eerily, like the closest thing I can compare this, like what's going on right now with COVID is like the few months after nine 11 in New, in New York, when like, and especially the few days when like New York city was empty and it was like, you know, that movie, I am legend. It, yeah. Like the only people I lived downtown, like at the last block you could, they were letting people stay. I was on house and like the last block you can go South, you know, in downtown before everybody else was evacuated. So like, I remember that the, the, like the day after or two days after, I think it was like the only people you'd see on the streets were like military or police or fire vehicles. And, you know, when we went, I went to like a bar slash restaurant and it was only like first responders there. And it was just, and then, you know, having to wear the masks, like, because you could smell like the dust and stuff from ground zero. But so to bring it back to unthinkable, just like part of the reason it was really what, what was behind that. And I think behind a lot of my writing was just like, then I remember like that same day or like I went uptown and like people were like out in bars and stuff, which I don't begrudge them, but like it was this very strange thing of like going from like, you know, like a no man's land to like life is pretty much as normal, like, or at least on the surface. And then like that, that period after just like America basically, you know, like the president at the time just told us all to go shopping and like, a very small amount of people are asked to make the sacrifice, you know, relatively small. I mean, it's a lot of people, but it's still like as a percentage of the population, it's less than 1%. Like even if you're including the families and that was 19, almost 19 years ago now that we've been in this war. And so I have, I think I have a little bit of weird, like, I don't know if you'd call it survivor's guilt of just like this feeling that like, you know, Again, what I do for the think tank stuff, I don't want to make it sound like I'm really doing anything. Right. Like I'm making any kind of sacrifice. Like it's 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 enriching my life, and I'm so happy to help in any way. But like, you know, it's just like the least I can do. Like I feel like it's there's this disproportionate amount of sacrifice is placed. You know, regardless of whether you agree, like with you know American military or foreign policy, it's just like it's just not a fair thing that all these people are asked to sacrifice yeah. and the rest of us kind of don't. Right. And it's something, you know, I, I think anyway, it's, it's something I think that, that, that really has been a motivating factor, whether or not it comes across in the actual work. But my, me and my brother are the only ones in the last three generations not to join the military. Oh, wow. My great grandfather my grandfather, my father and my great, great, grandfather as well actually came over from ireland and 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 joined the army and then yeah and then my my grandfather was a marine and he lost his arm but he was (laughs) he didn't lose his arm during the war time he was in between world war one and world war two and he him and his buddies got drunk they stole an mp's jeep and he wrecked it and he lost his arm in the in the wreck and, oh, but it was a different time, right? So he still got an honorable right. discharge because he served and he went through everything and it was just a totally different time. But the point of the story is when it came time for my brother graduated before me like five years and then I graduated uh, and I was 18 and I was thinking maybe I want to be a Marine like my grandfather. And I was told, no, we don't, you don't need to be joined the military, you know? 
generations join the military to get us to this point where you don't have to. So we don't want you to do it, you know? And I felt, I mean, I'll be honest, there was a relief because the Kuwait altercation had just ended. You didn't know what was happening over there, you know, because I graduated in 93. um, And so what in Kuwait was 90, 91, 92, somewhere around that time. So you didn't know what was going on and you didn't know if, if things could level up again. And, but, you know, you kind of feel like when you're told, you know, we did this so you don't have to, then you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I won't. And I, and I didn't, I ended up going to school. I went into going to college instead, but I look back at my friends that did join the military and everything. And sometimes I still feel like, you know, as, you know, I love being an American. I, I actually get, I don't, I get upset when people use the term stupid American and all these, you know what I mean? I'm the same. Yeah. same It it bothers me because it's like, well, we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. And we're supposed to have this, I don't know, people, I think the world looks at, at Americans differently, unfairly in a lot of ways, fairly in some, definitely fairly in some, but unfairly in a lot of ways as well. And sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of regret that I didn't serve my country that has given me all that I have today. Oh, I have you know? that too, and, for sure. And the yeah, same way. Yeah, I did the military t- and you know, same thing. Yeah, I didn't serve, but my dad was in the Air Force. My grandpa was grandpa and my uncle were in the Navy. My other uncle was in the two uncles were in the Marines. My great grandparents were in, you know, the army. And then I same thing, you know, when I was time for me to graduate, I graduated, you know, a few years later, I graduated in two thousand, but still wasn't it was just a thing of uh, you know, I don't need to do it. So I didn't. I went to school instead. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's yeah, I mean, you know, look, there I think the 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 volunteer army is basically, you know, has turned out to be a good thing in many ways. Like, I mean, they're they're very good at what they do. Like yeah. um, but I think, you know, it's like I feel like by by not having a draft, it makes it in some ways easier politically to, for us to go to war, right? I right. think and I mean, I also think again, same thing with drones, right? Like it lowers the co- like you know, first of all, like if we all had to go and serve, like trust, you know, like I doubt we would have gone to war with Iraq or I doubt we'd still be there at, at the very least. Like, you know, I mean, I think that's the lesson that, you know, and the, you know, that's, that's why things change after Vietnam. Um, yeah. But, you know, on top of that, it's like, yeah, the, you know, it's look, drones in, in many ways are automated warfare. Are, are, it, it's great in that you can, we can save American lives and ideally, you know, take out people with more precision, obviously, you know, it's much more in theory than in practice sometimes. Right. There certainly have been collateral, a lot of collateral damage, but like, that's another thing that it's like on the, well, okay. Like if you're a politician and you have to send like, like people in, like you did in the bin Laden raid, right? Like, well, if that goes wrong, like that's the end of your career. And, and like, you know, there's a real cost to that. I mean, like, because there's human lives at stake as opposed to like, Okay, well, like if you can just take somebody out by with a drone, like you know, it, it, you know, yes, you have you may have civilian casualties, but the blowback as opposed to losing American lives is not going to be is not going to be the same. I you know I think I feel like I, I wish there I think it would be good to have some kind of national service that like wouldn't have to be military. It could be like you know it could be Teach for America kind of thing. 
It could be, well, uh, you know, I mean, real- like not everybody is, the, I mean, you know, like not everybody's suited to serve in the military. Yeah. Like I, I probably wouldn't be doing anybody any favors if they put a rifle on my hand. Right. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's like, I'd like to serve, but there, there'd probably be, you know, but I think there are, there are other ways. And I think there would be, it, 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 it would have a, you know, and they talk about like address, you know, like forgiving student loans and things like that, like that, maybe that would be a way to do it where, yeah. okay. You know, as not saying like you shouldn't just do it in general, but like, oh, maybe one a compromise way would be of like saying, okay, well, in a di- like if you will pay for your college if you do this, and it could be, you know, it can be civilian as well as military service. But I think it would also be a bonding, like a thing that would help, you know, it's sort of make, make society of like already however you want to think of it. Yeah, like yeah. because. Anyway, I could I could go on for, for <laughs> I, I had this girl that worked with me back in the nineties. I, I ran a video store and she was one of my she's one of my one of my workers. But she was born in Israel. And I remember when she was seven she was seventeen. I was twenty, twenty, twenty one maybe. And she was like, No, I'm getting ready to move to, back to Israel. And I was like, Oh, you're going to Israel? She goes, Yeah, if I want to keep my citizenship, I have to join the military before I turn eighteen. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, that's just how it is. You got to join the military before you turn eight. You know, if you want, you know, I was, she was born there, but they moved to Seattle, Washington, like when she was six months old, but she wanted to keep her dual citizenship and she felt a lot of pride coming from that area. So she, she did, she did it. She, she left like, you know, about a month before she turned 18, she moved back and joined the military. It's yeah. I, I have I have family in Israel. My um, you know my cousin is you know he has to serve, and my aunt and uncle in there they're they're too old to serve at this point. But they my my they grew up. My cousin, uh, my aunt and uncle, and my cousin they grew up all in in Queens, uh, New York, and yeah. Now he yeah he does you know he's in the reserves there. Um, yeah. And it's like I mean Israel is a very complicated place. Yeah. Um, but it has been a unifying force, and actually one of the issues that's been happening is that the ultra orthodox there don't have to serve they get like a religious exemption and yeah. as that becomes a lot as like that section like as more and more ultra orthodox people like as it becomes a bigger percentage of the population that means that like now you're losing part of what's the military was serving as something that was helping you know keep everything cohesive uh you know keep society like you know something that that I'm blanking on the word I'm looking for, but like it helped, helped hold society together. And it, so when you lose that, it's, you know, it's, I mean, look, that was something that was born out of necessity. It's a country that was like, you know, surrounded by, by, you know, by, by countries that it was at war with for, you know, for, I guess like 70 years. So it becomes born out of necessity, but it helped when you think about that, you know, like most of they were there, you know, they had immigrants, you know, originally there were people there that settled before World War II. There were people that came in, you know, from the Holocaust. Then there were people that came in from all over, like, like thing that a lot of people don't know is like after when Israel declared its independence and, and, and like, you know, a lot of like millions of Palestinians were displaced, but also Jews that had been living in Arab countries for hundreds of years were kicked out. Like the North, North Africa, they had to come in and they're very culturally very, yes, they're Jewish, but they're, you know, they spoke Arabic. Like they're, culturally very different than when the Soviet Union collapsed. You had a whole, and, you know, one of the things that helped 
not the only thing, but one of the things that helped integrate them is you have, okay, well, everybody has to serve in the army. Everybody learns a language. Everybody, you know, you learn, yeah. you learn the same language. You, and it's, you know, the threat of, of, there was an existential threat that was keeping to get people together too. But it's like, which, which we, I mean, I was going to say we don't have, but like we kind of do right now right. in a different way. But yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's interesting to thinking about like that kind of stuff and, and how those things be used to hold society together. It's one of the things that actually like gives me some degree of like comfort is like, okay, like having worked with so many people in the military, I just was like, if they need to be deployed to, to, and you know, I hope they don't, or at least I hope that they do, it's to set up hospitals and not to like, you know, keep people in cities or something. But it's like, I feel like, okay, that's, they're, they're, they're very competent, like, like good people that, that we can rely on if things really get out of even more out of hand. But again, I hope they don't. Yeah. Well, Mark, I, it's been a real pleasure talking with you and I hope same here. Thank I hope you. I can convince you to come back and uh, absolutely one yeah. of the things that we do and, and you choose, and if you want to do this, I hope you do. One of the things that we like to do is we have this sub series called the commentary track and it's like the old DVD extras where you could play the, the, the directors and editors and, you know, actors talking over the DVD and what we like to do is take a book of a creators and then go page by page with the creator and talk about what, how they came up with the stuff that's going on and describe everything. And so that our re, so our listeners can like open up the book and follow along with us as we're talking in depth about that book. And I would love to do that with one of your, with any of your books. I a hundred percent do that. That yeah. sounds like so cool. I, yeah. that is brilliant. I, yeah. I, so like, fun. Has nobody ever done that before? That's <laughs> I would definitely so much fun. Well, yeah, you know any book. Funny think Go Frank Gogol. You know who Frank Gogol is? He did Dead End Kids and he's he's got a new one out. And I unfortunately can't remember what it is. Dead End Kids is 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 fantastic. You should check it out. It's Frank Gogol, G-O-G-O-L. He came to us and says, Hey, I kind of want to do this commentary track thing with with Dead End Kids. And Dead End Kids had come out and it it sold out at Midtown Comics. It Smash sold out it. across the yeah, he, he, it just, it just killed it. And so they had to do all these second prints and third prints. And he came on for all three of the books and did a commentary track. And then we had Frank, Stefan Frank on who does silver. Stefan Frank was this animation supervisor on the iron giant. He's directed a bunch of like Smurfs and a bunch of other things. He's an amazing storyteller and he's got this book called silver, which is a grift. It's a grifter, right? It's a, it's a, it's, it's somebody pulling a con. It's Ocean's Eleven inside a Dracula's castle is how he describes it. And it's it's amazing. It's all in black and white and, and oh, wow. Stefan does everything. And he's amazing. He's out of he's he's from Paris. He lives in LA now. And we did we did his favorite book, which is like halfway through the the series. We did his you know, we did that with him. And then we had Kevin Joseph on of who does Tart, which is another really good independent book if you haven't checked it out but the guy does amazing stuff but there's so much fun and i and we're having j j michael straczynski is coming on to do resurrection no number the, one the resistance the resistance oh my god oh wow yeah why do i keep seeing resurrection the resistance the yeah. new one from awa uh, awa studios yeah so we're super excited to have that so 
if you want to think about a book you of yours that you would like to do it with, sure. it, it could be brand new. We could do God Killers, or we could go back and and talk about uh, Unthinkable or anything uh, any between. any of them really. Yeah, any of them. I mean, you do some great work, so we'd love to talk about any of them. Yeah, no, I, I'd be happy to do that. Maybe the dark or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it would be uh, that. Just sounds like a lot of. I mean, problem with the dark is that it's 120 pages. So you know. Well, we could just do a section. Know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, we could okay, do like a 22 page section. We could do all of it. Why not? Come on, man. What's your what's yeah, your what's your like, sense of awesomeness? Yeah. But maybe <laughs> I bet like I, I would. I'd have to ask him, but like Christian might would probably be into it too, and cool. I feel like. You know, I, I, Christian would be amazing yeah, but, like, to talk about yeah, like, his work on the 3D stuff. Because I can never, I can never like explain what he's doing as well, you know, like as well as he can. I mean, some of his process is kind of like a secret in the sense of it's like he's figured out this way to do it that he can't reveal. But right. but he can talk a lot about the about the visuals of it. Yeah, so that would be no, that would be fantastic. I would, I would awesome. love to come back. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Again, thank you so much for having me. It's thank you. really, really a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Right. Talk to you soon. Take, take care. Bye. Graveyard of Empires is the one we talked about. I just figured that out. Which was it called? Graveyard of Empires. That was one of the ones we talked about in the, on this on the on the show. We talked about that a little, a little bit a lot. Oh, that's the one where, with the um, yeah. I just I just saw the name. I was like, oh yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, you want to bring it back in? Yeah, that's one. That's the one with that fucking badass cover with the sc- the skull in the flower. Yeah, you're talking about Graveyard of the Empires. Yeah, that that yeah, we talked about that one and that. We, I remember on the episode we both looked it up. I'm like, oh my god, that cover is. I was trying to bring us in smoothly. Based on what you just said, yeah, been a great back into the outro. Well, I failed. I'm sorry, but <laughs> anyways, I'm well. I'm just looking at the artwork and I'm like, man, this is fucking cool. Because I, I, I now it's all coming back because this was recorded a while ago, and now we're doing the intro outro, and so things come back to you as you talk about it. And I this this I remember talking about this cover and wow, smooth man smooth, <laughs> and him talking about. Sh- I'm trying here. <laughs> you know what? You do it. Uh no, this is great. This is great. I love this. This is the folly of all follies for <sighs> for coming back in, and I love it. It's you no. Know, if you would stop pointing it out, it'd have been fine. <laughs> but you had to keep going. You had to keep going. No, but Graveyard in the Empire's amazing artwork. Yeah, yeah, and has somebody has a tattoo of it too, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. I was like, oh, that's nutty. It is nutty. I, I can imagine somebody wanting to tattoo my artwork on them. If I was, if I was the artist, I'd be like, "Really? You want to, you want tattoos that I drew on your body? All right, have fun." If it's He Man, what? I said, if it's He Man, all right, you, you can tattoo my He Man on you. All right, <laughs> actually, you can just cosplay as him. Oh, <laughs> we can both cosplay as him. <laughs> uh, I got more hair on top. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> For those wondering what we're talking about, if you look at our very first Tot episode, the graphic has a picture of middle-aged He-Man that I drew on there, and he's very much middle-aged He-Man. Oh, and he's got the nipples to end all nipples. <laughs> I, I don't know why I made him so nice, but I did. <laughs> but how is how cool is that? How cool is Mark Dude, Mark for is all awesome. the stuff that he's doing? I mean, that guy is doing a lot. Yeah, writing a lot of great books and doing a lot of a lot of a lot of good fun work. But uh, I mean. It was like I said when I talked to him the first time when he was at Comic Con. My first, my only thought at the end was, 
he has to come back on. We have to talk to him for a full episode because this guy's got so much going on that this quick 10 minutes is not going to cover anything. I, as much, anywhere near as much as I want to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I think it's cool that he went to the first, you know, Middle East Comic-Con oh, over in the United in the, Emirates. Yeah, that's awesome. And just he's working with the government and he's writing books and he teaches. I mean, it's just like, Jesus, man, I feel lazy now. And I do a lot. Right. <laughs> right. Well, compared to someone like Mark, we're like lazy. That. All right. We need to pick it up. Right. We need to pick it up and get stabilized. Right. I mean, oh, da- daily podcast that? episode is not. I say is a good term. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I lost my train of thought there. Oh, yeah. I was going to say daily podcast episode is not enough. We got to do more twice daily. Right. Twice daily. Twice, twice, twice. <laughs> and then we'll go thrice daily. Like no, right? no. One, oh, I think one a day is plenty. Thrice. Yeah, one a day <laughs> is a lot. Well, there you guys go. There you go. I hope, yeah, I hope you really, really enjoyed that. We had a lot of fun talking with Mark. Uh, hopefully someday we can have him back on uh, in the future because that would be a lot of fun because he is a blast to speak with. Johnny. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, parting words of wisdom? My words of wisdom that I have to leave you all parting with today is you need to go to spoilerverse.com. You need to check out this show that you're listening to as well as all the other shows that are up there and you need to hit up that back catalog because I guarantee you there's at least a dozen to a couple hundred episodes that you'll love to listen to, especially if you enjoyed this one because we have interviews for days on the show. We have tots. We have conversation episodes. We have topic episodes. We've got other podcasts talking about horror and talking about music and talking about everything else in the world. Not everything, but most pop culture stuff in the world on the, on the network. We got articles, we got reviews. I mean, just stuff coming out multiple times per day. Like just today, as of recording this, and this is in, you'll hear this in the future, we just posted an article about Ninja Sex Party. And if you don't know what that is, just go to the website and search for Ninja Sex Party and you'll find out what that is. Because if you don't know, you should definitely know what a Ninja Sex Party is. That sounds insane. It is insane. And it's awesome. I'll have to go to the website, spoilerverse.com and look that up. You should. You should. All right, guys, we're out of here. Uh, before we go, if you love those types of interviews, go back to check out the back catalog, as Johnny was just saying, and check them all out because we got a lot. Nothing behind a paywall, uh, which is great. And we have over 300 episodes sitting there just for Spoiler Country alone. And then we have all these other podcasts, like 13 in total. And yeah. so there's well over 300 hours of entertainment sitting there for you to, to uh, peruse and take over. On top of that, if you like what you're hearing, if you want to support us, uh, do us a huge favor. Go to a podcatcher that you use on your on your smartphone. Look up Spoiler Country. Subscribe. You'll get all the newest episodes and all that fun stuff. And then, if you really, really want to support us, get over to iTunes or to Google Play and maybe drop us a review. It tremendously helps. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, pretty, it'd be pretty cool if you did that. It'd be be a lot cooler if you did too but one's good <laughs> to be honest it'd be really cool if you did that yeah yeah <laughs> all right guys don't forget in an ocean's a podcast we are cthulhu and as cthulhu compels you to do open the mind and read more <laughs>